This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Relevant Life Church. All right, if you're doing super good this morning, give me like a thumbs up. If you're getting like 50%, give me like a huh. No one. Everyone's doing good. That means that means uh, you're filled with Jesus, and Jesus loves you, right? Um, I was talking to God the other day, face to face, because I do that. I'm just kidding. Um, but He was telling me that actually, if you have come to church every Sunday in 2021, you're actually getting an extra jewel on your crown. So, how many people said I've been here every week? I'm just kidding. That's not true. Um, I don't think that works. But maybe. I mean, I don't know. We'll find out when we get there. Um, I'm excited. If you haven't met me before, I want to welcome our online audience. I am Trenton. I am uh, the youth pastor here. I also do worship, Um, and I'm honored that you guys are here today. Um, Honestly, um, some faces that I haven't seen in a while or um, faces that I think about often. I just want to say thanks for participating in RLC as a community. Um, We... I was thinking this week, actually, like, we're probably all tired of hearing how hard 2020 was. Like, if you're just tired of talking about 2020, raise your hand. But really, I feel so blessed. I mean, we're almost a year into this whole process when COVID first kind of came about. And I just think over the last year in my life, in, in the life of our community, and just see the faithfulness of God and see the faithfulness of you. So thanks for being here today. Thanks for being a part. I'm excited. How many people have been here so far for the series Anchored? Raise your hand. How many people have enjoyed it? How many people have got something out of it? I remember a couple months ago when Pastor Kevin said, hey, I want to kick off the year talking about hope, calling people back to hope. And I remember just the anticipation to talk about this. And again, like I said, we're probably tired of hearing about 2020, but somewhere down the line, we have to remember to anchor ourselves in hope. So I I hope and I pray that you've been challenged in this series because whether we like it or not, we're going to have storms ahead of us. If we're in one right now, so be it. If we're not, we're going to face one. And so I hope that you're taking notes. I hope that you're building your spirit, building your soul, and preparing. Is that a good word? All right. So week number four of Anchored, and I'm stepping in today, and I'm actually excited for this topic, and we're going to take a little bit of a twist on the fact of what we've been doing so far. So if you've been with us, the theme so far in the series has been, we will all experience storms in life, and we all need an anchor. So whether that's unexpected storms, whether that's storms we've created ourselves, whether that's something that is completely out of our control, we all face storms, and we all need an anchor. So the question is, when storms come, what are we anchoring to? What is bringing us comfort? What's bringing us stability? What's bringing us security? And so for the first two weeks, we spent time talking about our response to the storm, right? Storms are inevitable, but God is in control. If you were with us the first week, that's what was hit home. Storms are inevitable, but God's in control. The second week, we talked about being prisoners of hope. And as Christians, prisoners, what a prisoner is, is it's someone that's bound to something. As Christians, we're bound to Jesus. We're bound to hope. That's what a prisoner of hope is. That means that despite the circumstance, we're bound to that. And last week, Pastor Kevin started to kind of shift gears, and he started talking about how to prepare for the storm. Say, I'm going to prepare for the storm. Come on, say it a little bit louder. So today, I'm going to be piggybacking off of that. And what I want to hopefully challenge you with is to be someone who prepares for the storm. 
Someone who steps back and is wise, kind of like the wise builder we talked about last week and recognizes it's inevitable that you're going to face something. How do you build your life to best have hope, to best not face hopelessness later down the line? How many people in here have heard the statement, God will not do what you can do for yourself? Raise your hands. God will not do what you can do for yourself. I think this statement sometimes is taken out of context or it's confusing because you're like, wait, I serve, I serve a sovereign God, like a gracious God. Like, how can I control God? What that statement is meaning is that it matters how you live your life. It's a cop-out to say, I can just do whatever I want, and God above will come down and fix my mess, right? And that's, like, typically how we view God. Like, we, we don't want to be attached to God unless, like, we're in a storm, right? We don't want to be tied down by him, but then when the storm comes, like, the only thing we want to do is be tied to him, correct? And so what we have to recognize as people is the, how we live our life impacts how we face the storm. That's what we talked about last week, the wise and the foolish builder. One chose to build on a rock. One chose to build on a foolish spot, sand. They each faced the same storm, and they each had different outcomes. And so it's our responsibility to build in a certain way. So what I want you to take down today is that storms are inevitable, but our preparation is optional. It's optional. Say that with me today. Storms are inevitable, but our preparation is optional. And so you have to ask, is what I'm anchored to going to secure me? When storms come, will I have hope or will I be hopeless? And so the goal today is I want to start helping you build a foundation practically how to be prepared for a storm. Benjamin Franklin put it this way. He said, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. An ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Some of you may have heard the statement before. What Benjamin Franklin was saying is it's better to do the work, a small amount of work on the front end, than a lot of work to recover and pick up the pieces on the back end, right? And a lot of times we just approach God to pick up the pieces, like, we're good. Like, God, I'm good. Life's good right now. Finances are good. Like, my job's good. That's why during COVID, everyone, like, either sank or swim. Sank or swam, right? I don't know what I'm saying. Um, anyway, but that's what we do as believers is a lot of times we wait for the storm. So over the next coming weeks, what we're going to be talking about is how to build a wise foundation on Jesus. And this is extremely practical. We're going to talk about how to anchor um, our finances to Jesus. We're going to talk about how, how to anchor technology to Jesus, how to anchor relationships, um, family, our emotions. And hopefully in turn, I hope you take this serious. You might be in a great spot financially. You might be in a great spot relationally. But these are notes that you can use later down the line. So today I'm talking about everyone's favorite topic, finances. Turn here and say, oh, I love talks about this. And the title of my message this morning is Money, Money, Money. Come on. All right. And they, that was really half-hearted, but it's fine. The reason I call this message this is because I told my wife this week, I'm like, I'm talking about money. I don't know what to say. She's like, just get up there and sing the tune. Money, money, money. All right. So you have to turn to your neighbor today and sing it to him, all right? On the count of three. One, two, three. Man, that sounded like a dying cow, but it's fine. Okay. All right, so the question we have to ask today is how do we anchor our finances to Jesus? And I want to do this extremely in an extreme biblical fashion. And today I'm not going to be like, I'm going to talk about tithing like for 30 seconds at the end of this message. So like, I'm not sitting here today trying to tell you how to give to the church. Like, I think that's a huge part of anchoring your finances. But today I really want to talk about how to anchor your heart, which controls your finances to Jesus in such a specific way. And I believe Paul gives us some amazing direction in 1 Timothy. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to um, 1 Timothy chapter 6? today. Just turn to Acts. It's fine. Okay. Uh, and we're going to look at just a few verses today. First Timothy 6, it says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and we have clothing, we will be content with that. 
Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. How many people have made a foolish purchase and you feel like this is you? Yeah. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from their faith and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, Timothy, you man of God, flee from all of this. Flee from this. And pursue instead righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Skip down to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, say in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love this statement. Do not put your hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but put your hope in God. So that's what I want to talk about today. Putting your finances, anchoring your finances in God. I'm going to pray real quick. God, I just thank you today for this opportunity to share. God, I just pray right now, God, that you would... um, God, challenge, God, hearts, God, with, um, that are, are struggling with finances. God, I come against condemnation for those who are maybe facing just a heap of debt or a heap of financial overwhelmed feelings, God. And I, God, I, I pray for those who um, are not yet in a destructive path, God, but are headed there. God, I pray that each one of us, God, would, would sense in our hearts how to be better stewards of our finances, God, how to better financially anchor in you. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen. So I ran across an article. I actually heard a different pastor use it, um, I don't know, a couple months ago. And I was trying to figure out how I really wanted to introduce the topic today. And this story came to mind. So I'm just going to read it rather than um, talking about it. But nearly 12 years ago, so 11 months or, or 11 years and 11 months ago, on February 28th, 2009, after a day of fishing in the Gulf of Mexico, more than 50 miles off of Clearwater, Florida, it was time for Marquise Cooper, the linebacker of the Oakland Raiders, and his three companions to head home. But the anchor of their boat was stuck. It was embedded in the hard bottom 138 feet below the surface. One of the men suggested removing the anchor rope from the front end of Cooper's boat, tying it to the back of the boat, and then using the 200-horsepower Yamaha to yank the anchor free. Cooper, again, the linebacker of the Oakland Raiders, who had lost an anchor the previous weekend in a similar situation, agreed to the plan. So with the rope retied, he throttled forward, but the anchor stayed put, pulling down the back of the ship. The boat then flooded, causing it to flip over. So Marquise Cooper and Corey Smith, the defensive end of the Detroit Lions, were tossed overboard along with William Bleakley and Nick Schuyler. Out of the the four men, only Schuyler survived this event. After a month-long Florida State investigation, it was concluded that the cause of the highly publicized February 28th tragedy boiled down to two words, improper anchoring. Improper anchoring. They did not know that the anchor, uh, or they did not know that anchoring from the stern, so the back of the boat is not safe. It's, a pro- it's probably a mistake made every day, but maybe it has different results that occur. Certainly, if you take some type of boater education class, they're going to go over anchoring, and that would have been covered. And what I want to, again, just point to your attention is the tragedy boils down to improper anchoring. And I don't want to make light of these men's deaths. Like, how many people actually knew this was even a thing? So very few. So th- like this was like 11, and 11, 12 years ago. These men, after football season, I'm assuming, I don't think they were in the Super Bowl. Obviously, they probably wouldn't have been doing this if they were. But they're out, out celebrating their free time. NFL players. So two highly played, famous athletes are celebrating and on vacation. And next thing you know, just because of one simple mistake, their lives have been ended. 
And I didn't, I didn't go on to read a ton of details, but Skylar, the guy that survived, he survived, and it was like, I think he was like in the ocean for like 48 hours or something, just hanging onto the boat. Like his body temperature was extremely low. He had to hold on for all dear hope. And so what I want to try to prevent you from is having this same situation happen in your spiritual and emotional life. Because a lot of us improperly anchor ourselves to things, whether that's a relationship, whether that's our finances, whether that's... Um, spending habits, whether that's desires. We, 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 we look for something, like we said, this whole series, to anchor our hope in at when, when, when life's feeling crazy. And what happens is a lot of us don't face circumstances this scary, so we don't notice how dangerous what we're anchored to actually is. And then when everything gets wiped out, it leaves us hopeless. And I think this, one of the biggest anchors we do this with is our finances. So if I were to ask today, what is one of the top three things you find security in your life? I'm assuming most of us would say our finances, right? My paycheck's good. I have a good, secure savings, right? A lot of us would go, I find security in the fact of how much money I make and, and how, how much money I have in, in um, reserve in case some situation happens. Like if that's like you this morning, just kind of give me a quick hand. Like, no one depends on their finances. All right, I guess I'll just leave then. No, just kidding. Um, I, think, I think you do this more than you actually think. Like for me, like so I'm just I'll just be honest. Allie and I, like, I have a beautiful truck out there. If you haven't seen on social media, God blessed us immensely. That's a whole different story to tell. It was a complete God thing. But our cars, we've had issues with our cars. We've had two um, two cars given to us and we've taken good care of them. We've rode them out for a couple years, and both the cars had issues in the beginning of the month of January once again, and we had to get both of them fixed. We ended up selling one. This week also I found out I have to get braces, so you can pray for me. I already have braces, I have to get them again because I got them off too early, and now my jaws misalign. I'm grinding my teeth. The whole sad story. Anyway, but at the end of the day, you're like, you're like, dude, he's going to look doofy. It's all right. People already made fun of the size of my head and said I'd wear headgear. So just don't judge me. Okay. Like I'm gonna, just going to call him out. Blake Anderson. First thing I tell him is like, dude, you would have huge headgear. Like, thanks, bro. Okay. I'm not getting actual braces. Okay. This is the type of friend I have. Okay. I love Blake. He just keeps it real. Anyway, I'm getting Invisalign. So I'm going to still have a beautiful smile and, and get fixed at the same time. So anyway, but what I'm trying to point out today is the fact that, like, this week I felt security. Over the last month I felt security because Allie and I have been wise enough with our finances that I found security. I didn't go seek God right away and go, God, like, please, like, I don't have money for these braces. I automatically went to, well, we've been wise. I have security in my own ability, in my own finances. Does that make sense? So a lot of people immediately go to that situation. And, again, like, the, the truck story, like, I fasted over our, our cars, and next thing you know, I ended up with this. So I'm just saying. Anyway, that's a plug for fasting. Next year, you might get a new vehicle. Anyway, so I, what I'm trying to say is I think one of the top, th I'm just like off on a rabbit trail. I waited to drink caffeine till like 20 minutes before service. So that's what's happening right now, okay? So again, I think the top three things we, we look for in security, one of them would be finances. But on that same, that same idea, I think that also the top three, out of the top three biggest worries in our life, one of them would be finances as well. One thing that consumes our mind, one thing that, that dictates our thoughts is our finances. This week I was looking at some statistics and I found many things that led to this. And these were both reports from these last two years. Uh, one was actually like from just like I think October, if I remember right, of this last year. So really recent. These stats say this. 77% of U.S. Americans, like obviously U.S. Americans, Americans report feeling anxious about their financial situation. So three out of four people feel anxious about their financial situation. 58% um, of Americans feel that their finances control their lives. Not that they control their finances. Their, control, their finances actually dictate how they live their lives. 
52% have difficulty controlling their money-related worries. And this one's crazy to me, and like, I'm not judging you if this is you, but like, no wonder we find ourselves in so much hopelessness when it comes to our finances. 44% of um, Americans don't have enough cash to cover a $400 emergency. So the average cost of an unexpected medical expense is $1,000. This means that nearly half our country is one unexpected bill away from being completely hopeless when it comes to finances, having to charge a credit card. Then what if you have multiple of those happen? And this is how we find ourselves hopeless in our finances. Does anyone like know what I'm talking about? Or are you all perfect here? And so what I want to point out today is the reason we feel hopeless in our finances is because we put hope in them in the first place. With the reason we feel hopeless over our finances is because we put hope in them in the first place. The first three weeks of the series have been talking about putting your hope in Jesus. He's the only sure and certain thing you can put your hope in. The only reason you feel hopeless, and obviously we're human, like I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but if you feel hopeless, go back to what you put your hope in in the first place. During COVID, a lot of us felt hopeless because a lot of the things that we felt hope in were ripped away from us, including finances. It's why so many Americans are reeling. They, don't have, they didn't have money saved. They were depending on their job. They were going paycheck to paycheck, and they feel hopeless. And so today, I want to hopefully help you, um, instead of anchoring yourself to your money, I want to help you anchor your finances to Jesus. Does that make sense? Instead of anchoring um, yourself to money, anchor your money to Jesus. And I want to give you just three quick things this morning that we're going to wrap up. Paul gives us three things. He's told Tim- Timothy three things today. He says, in order to anchor your finances to Jesus, you need to, first of all, anchor your cravings to God's desire for your life. First, you need to anchor your cravings to God's desires for your life. How many would agree one of the worst financial storms you faced in your life came down to something, um, or the cause of something from you spending foolishly early on? Like, how many people would just be, like, brave enough to say yes? Some of the spouses leaned over, I wrote this in my notes, some of the spouses leaned over and said, yeah, like, you just had to have it, right? Like, that's me and Allie. Like, I'm just like, I have to have this, babe. And see, the reason we anchor our cravings to Jesus is because this actually prevents certain storms from ever happening. I don't think it's an understatement to say that one of humanity's greatest struggles, one of their greatest um, temptations and, and, and paths to destruction is their cravings is their desires. They just have to have it. This is why Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, 9, he said, those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Not those who are rich, but those who crave to be rich. Cravings means a powerful desire for something. So in other words, I want it and I want it now. How many people like participate in the 21 day fast with us this, this year? So Allie and I did some, some liquid fast for a little bit and we did Daniel fast. And right before, I think it was like one of the final nights before um, we did the fast, I ate nacho fries from Taco Bell. And like, I've already said this about Taco Bell. Like Taco Bell always sounds good then you eat it and you're like, this is trash. Like I don't even feel good. Was not that good. Okay. Anyway, so the devil, every time I drove by my, to go to my house in West Salem, I drive by Taco Bell, right? Because I drive up Wallace Road, and I see nacho fries plastered on the side of their building. And I'm like, dude, the devil lives there. Like, he's trying to tempt me with these stupid nacho fries. You know, want to know what the first thing I ate was when I broke the fast? Nacho fries, people. And they were actually not that great. So my dad was like, dude, I have to try these. These sound amazing. I'm like, they're actually really not good. I'm just stupid. And so what I'm trying to point out is, like, this is how humanity works. Like, you, you go back to the beginning of the, like, the very beginning of the Old Testament, and you see each sin, if you just calculate it, each one came down to, to human desires. Eve, if you read the story of Eve eating the apple, it says that the apple looked pleasurable. She just decided, because her craving said so. Cain, killing his brother. 
He decided he was frustrated. His desires led him to kill his brother. We just go down the line. The Israelites, they wanted a, a physical idol, so they asked Aaron to melt their gold and make an idol, and look what happened. The Israelites wanted a king. Look at what all the kings led them to do. Like each king, uh, Saul, broke what God had told him to do because of his desires. It comes down to our, our, our human nature follows its cravings rather than controlling its cravings. And we know this is true. If you look at the stats right now in America, 80 plus percent of Americans are living in debt. And the average credit card debt is around $7,000. And I was looking at like the average debt just for like school loans, house loans, car payments. I think it was like $96,000 is like the average person's debt. No wonder we feel hopeless. I'm like, you, you get yourself in a hole and you just, you don't know how to get out of it. And the next thing you know, another unexpected thing comes while you're trying to, to cover what has already been unexpected. And we find ourselves in this place. And this is why Paul tells Timothy, um, he says, uh, those dominated by their cravings fall into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. People eager for money have wandered and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. This, this Greek word for foolish means not thinking, not reasoning through a matter or a choice. So in other words, Paul is talking to those who didn't wisely assess their choice before making it. And I, again, I want to be, I want to be careful today because I, again, know like some of you have been hit with some extreme, extremely difficult situations where like you just didn't have the finances and you had to make a way, whether it was a medical bill. And so I'm not trying to knock on that today. I'm talking specifically to those of like me that just like have to have it. <laughs> My wife's not even here to say amen, but I know she's thinking it. One of the biggest reasons we feel hopeless over our finances is because we are facing the, the consequences of what we've done prior. And so I'm going to call this supply and demand. And I know if you're like financial guru, like I'm using this incorrectly, like traditionally this phrase supply and demand is used um, in correlation to producers producing enough for the consumers, right? If this makes sense, like nod your head. But what I want to talk about today is our cravings and desires demand something of us. Our cravings and our desires demand something of us. So financially, that means paying for something that then supplies your demands. Does that make sense? And so what happens is we run into trouble when our cravings demand and we supply until we have no more supply. And then the credit card that came out, like, or credit, I think 100 years ago, is like around the Great Depression, if I remember right. Like, the credit card and being able to charge these expenses like this, like, now you just put it on the card, right? Like, eventually you'll have the supply. Right now you don't, but the demand is higher than the supply. So just charge it. Next thing you know, you wake up and recognize that your desires have led you down a path that you cannot get out of now. Ravi Zacharias put it this way, sin, and I'm changing that word sin to cravings, will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. So the question you need to ask yourself today, is the problem that you never had money to begin with, or is the problem that you were foolish with the money that you had? So how do we prevent this storm, or how do we get out of the storm? Because again, this is just one financial storm we face. Instead of letting your cravings drive your finances, anchor your cravings to God. See, because debt is not, is debt is like never a finance money issue. It's always a craving issue. And I love this verse, and I use it often, and it comes to my mind often, but in Genesis 4, I just talked about Cain killing his brother. Before Cain kills his brother, God shows up and says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You must choose to, to curb the craving that you have. You must say no. And this is what Paul tells Timothy. He says, but you men of God, flee from all of this. 
flee from what the world is saying. And I didn't give context. I totally just spaced at the beginning. But Paul's writing to Timothy. And in the New Testament, there's 27 books in the New Testament. Out of, out of those books, uh, I think 21 of them are letters. And out of those letters, three of those letters are known as the pastoral letters. And Paul writes to three lead, or two leaders, Titus and Timothy, and he says, hey, this is how you need to lead your church. And in 1 Timothy, Paul's confronting false teachers that are trying to gain money through religion. And this is why he's saying this. So he says, but flee all of this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Command those who are rich in this present world to do good, to be rich in good deeds. So Paul's essentially saying, shift your cravings from material gain to spiritual gain. See, what I want you to recognize today is God made you to crave. Like, I think a lot of times, like, we just try to stop craving. Like, we have an issue, like, and this is beyond debt. This is beyond finances. We have, we have this craving issue, and so we just decide, I'm just going to stop craving. That's, like, completely against the grain of how you were made. God made you to crave. You have to shift the craving, not destroy the craving. And this is what Paul talked about in Romans 7 when he says, I do what I want to do and I don't do what I want to do. And, and you're like, Paul, what are you saying? Later in Romans 8, 13 of the chapter after, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So starving your fleshly cravings, feeding your spiritual cravings. So that's the first point today, is that you need to anchor your cravings in God's desires for your life. The second thing is that you need to anchor your trust to God's provision. Anchor your trust to God's provision. If it's not debt that causes our financial hopelessness, hopelessness, the other main reason we feel hopeless in our finances is when we don't know how to make ends meet, right? When just like the unexpected thing comes or you're like, I just don't know how this is gonna to pan out. And Paul tells Timothy two things in regard to this. First one is this, that you need to trust what God has given you is enough. He says in, in, in verse eight, but if we have food and we have clothing, we will be content with that. Paul wasn't telling Timothy all we should ever own is food and clothing. Like he wasn't saying like sell everything else and just own these things. He was describing food and clothing as, as symbols of necessity. He was saying if you just have what's necessary, that's all you need. He was saying be content with what is necessary for right now. You don't need more. And this echoes what Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 25. Therefore I tell you do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? If God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. See, God can never be called into question if he has the ability to provide to meet your needs. What is questionable is if you will trust that he actually can meet your needs. And that's what I'm saying. Trust in God's provision. Again, the reason you feel hopeless over your finances is because you put hope in them fixing the problem in the first place. Like, you don't think God can come through on your behalf? Like, you don't, like, really think that God has a plan for your life. Like, God, like God wants you to be wise, but God also is gracious. God wants you to make wise decisions, but he's also, he's also good. He's also favoring of us. And this is honestly why we give tithes and offerings. Not so that we genie in a bottle, like convince God to like, to, to like give us money. And we, we, don't, we don't tithe as an insurance plan, like in case something goes wrong. Like we tithe, we give to God because it's a declaration of trust to say that as I'm putting this first, as I'm putting you first, I'm actually saying to my finances, no, you don't control my life. No, you don't, you don't demand, you don't anchor my hope.
Jesus anchors my hope. And that's why we tithe. And what I want you to catch is in, in the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, John chapter 6, a lot of us read that story. We've heard it in Sunday school, right? Like we know what happens, but we miss the context of the story. And so I just want to read the four verses really quick. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, so one of the disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this, I love this, like how the Bible, like John, like gives us little extra details. He asked this only to test him because Jesus had already had in his mind what he was going to do. So he already had the provision covered. He was essentially saying, like, what, what does humanity think of, of the, what, what do, they, do they trust in me? What do they believe in me? So verse 7, it says, Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, here's a boy with five small loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go? And what I want you to understand is Philip looked at the vastness of the need and became overwhelmed with it. Peter looked at the littleness of the supply and became overcome with it. Both of them were wrong. Do you recognize that? Both of them doubted. They didn't see God's provision. And that leads us to what Paul told Timothy next. Place um, your hope in the source, not the supply. See, 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides. The supply may always be uncertain, but you know who's not uncertain? The supplier. He's always faithful. He's always true. He's always gracious. He's always good. And our biggest issue when it comes again to finances, I'm gonna keep saying it. I hope this sticks in your head. The only reason you feel hopeless is because you put hope in them in the first place. God can take whatever you have and he can make it enough. I look at David and Goliath. No human logical reason makes David killing a nine foot plus guy with a stone, people. Like last time I checked, like you were not gonna kill someone by like slinging a stone at their face. Like David just crushed this guy. Like the guy that everyone was scared of. God took what David had, he made it enough. You see Moses. Moses is arguing with God and saying, God, like I cannot do this. And God says, what do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? A staff, throw it on the ground. This is the sign. He continues to argue. Then he brings along someone else. God can use what you have. Gideon, I love the call of Gideon. In the call of Gideon, Gideon starts making excuses and God says, just go as you are. I will be with you. Just go as you are. It does not matter what you have. It matters who your supplier is. And there's this passage of scripture in the Old Testament, if you know, um, of the man named Abraham, like Father Abraham had many sons, like that dude. Um, um, anyway, he he got promised. Everyone's like, "What is wrong with you?" Um, he got promised um, by God that like he would he would produce through Abraham great nations, um, many nations. And we've we've talked about this time and time again. But there's a passage and there's a story where God tells Abraham to sacrifice what was dear to him, his son, God's promise to him. And as they're going to sacrifice his son, his son asks Abraham, says, hey, I see like we have the wood and like the stuff to make this like altar, like to give a sacrifice to God. But like, what about like the sacrifice? And Abraham's only statement was God will provide. God will provide. What if that's how you walked around constantly? There's no way hopelessness can creep into a posture that says God will provide. God will provide. So my third and final point today is that you need to anchor your treasure to eternity. Say, anchor your treasure to eternity. I'm pretty sure we've all heard the statement before that perspective is everything. Perspective is everything. And the reason I bring that up today is because we make that statement that perspective is everything because when we say that, what we're saying is that although something appears 
the way it's appearing. There's another way to look at it. And as Christians, we should walk around. Our motto should be perspective is everything. Perspective is everything. Why? Because we're not supposed to view earth the way people view earth. We're not supposed to view our money the way people view money. Our eyes are supposed to be fixed on eternity. Our eyes are supposed to be fixed on Jesus. And this is why Paul tells Timothy, he says, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Command those who are rich to be rich in good deeds. Command them to be um, generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know what's entertaining to me? is that we, we focus so much on our finances, our, our, our financial provision and, and how much we make, how much we have. And at the end of the day, when we get to heaven, it's not going to matter at all. And you spend like 50% of your waking hours concerned about what you can buy, how you can buy it, what you can get, how you can get it. When we get to heaven, the only thing that's gonna matter is how you use the finances you had, the heart with which you use them. We see the principle in the New Testament when, when the poor woman comes and gives an offering and it was more accepted by God than, than the Pharisees who just dumped money into the offering. It came down to heart posture. It didn't come down to how much she had, but how she used it. And so what I want you to recognize is that earthly success and eternal success are entirely, entirely different. One of the biggest financial storms we face is comparison. How can I get this? How can I do this? This person has this. And we find ourselves hopeless, feeling like we're missing out. And at the end of the day, it does not even matter. And my wife is always so good at reminding me this. It's not eternal. Like, but I'm like, yeah, babe, the yard looks, it's not eternal. Like, but babe, like, this is not good. Like, yeah, it's not eternal. Like, she says it to me all the time. Like, it's just her, her conditioned response to me because I'm stupid. She said, amen. I'm just kidding. I'm just picking on her. She's not even here. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So how do we anchor our treasures in heaven? Paul tells Timothy, be generous and be rich in good deeds. So be generous. You know how you be generous? Actually, how, how you just give is by tithing to God. You say, God, like here's my first 10%. But offering is being generous. That's giving above and beyond. Being generous is, is seeing a person in need and giving to them. I look at in, in the book of Acts, when you see the early church, I think it's Acts 2, and it's like verses 42 through like 45, but you see the early church selling their possessions to give those who are in need. Like that is so countercultural, even to the church now. This is what Paul was talking about. Remember where you're giving towards and what you're giving for. And so as I close today, I, uh, I was actually going to use this passage um, earlier on in my message, and I just felt like God said I needed to end here. And I know that today um, I'm not supposed to knock on my own sermon, um, but let me tell you, last night I was freaking out like I was not going to um, be able to deliver this thing because I was just like, I don't feel like it's in me well enough. But at the end of the day, I just delivered some of the most foundational biblical principles of all time. And I hope that as you walk away, like the words that Paul said stick better than anything I said. And so what I want to end today is like, I know I didn't get a lot of group participation when I asked, asked about finances. I don't know who's watching online, but like debt is normal. Like, I, I mean, I don't want to like say it's okay to have like just excess debt, but a lot of us face the financial stress of debt. 
And I think the cop-out is a lot of times is like early on in my first point, I said like, you need to fix your cravings. But some of you are going like, dude, I like, I'm like 30 years past fixing my cravings. Now I'm just in the mountain of debt. Like, is there like a, a, like a get out of jail free card? Like, how do I do this? And a lot of times, if you're like me, you go like, God cannot provide for someone who's done something stupid early on. That is completely counter what the Bible talks about God. And there's this Old Testament story in 2 Kings, and I just want to read the first verse. It's about the prophet Elisha and this widow and her son. And this is what she says. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. This re the word revere means to fear the Lord. You know what I think of someone when they, when, when they say they fear the Lord? Someone who gives their finances to God. Someone who lives respecting God more than they respect anything else. So this man revered the Lord. But now his creditor, meaning the guy was in debt. Now his creditor is coming to take my boy as his slaves. And verse 2, I said I was only going to read one verse. I lied. Uh, verse 2, Elisha replied to her, how can I help? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Tell me, what do you have in your house? If you look at the story, she ends up having a, like a little bit of oil um, olive oil. She ends up selling it and paying off the debt. And next thing you know, she's rejoicing and, and the story's all good. And the principle I want to share with you today is that your God is so good. Your God is so gracious. He can make a way where there is no way. So my goal today is to help solve the financial hopelessness you can feel in your life before you get there. But if you're sitting here today, and I'm assuming quite a few people are sitting here today, whether you're showing on your face or not, you feel hopeless in some form or fashion based on your finances. I want you to recognize you have a God that can make a way where there is no way. The first thing that you need to do is you need to start tithing. Not because I want your money, not because the church wants your money. God wants your heart. And I know that's cliche, but church, I'm serious. Until God sees that you're committed to him, he can't just pour out blessings. I've heard it said before that God can either spend all his time forgiving you or blessing you. He can't do both. And I know that's like kind of putting God in a box. I'm not saying he can't, but just think about it. If, if you're living your life one way, not dependent on him, he's having to spend more time forgiving you than he can focus on giving you what he desires to give you for your life. And so that's my challenge today. We need to anchor our desires. We need to anchor our, our hope in Jesus. We need to anchor um, our treasure in heaven. So would you guys stand to your feet this morning? We're not gonna sing a song. I'm just gonna pray. And I wanna encourage you, the biggest thing today is I know that, again, I know finances can feel so hopeless. I wanna encourage you, there's a community here for a reason. And I guarantee you the person sitting next to you probably has either experienced or is experiencing some type of financial hopelessness. And so the best thing you can do is get accountability and get prayer and put it towards God. Give, give it to God and let him work. And so I just want to pray, but with every eye closed, can, can I just get a raise of hands today? Whoever says, I feel hopeless over my finances right now, even if it's just one person today. Does anyone say, I feel hopeless? Thank you. And I just want to pray a blessing over you. And again, church, those of you who are not struggling, I, I'm not saying even you're arrogant, but I just caution you again, it's better to prepare. prepare, prepare. It's better to prevent like Benjamin Franklin said, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. It's better to prepare, so learn to prepare. So God, I just thank you for those today, God, that say they're struggling, God, with their finances. God, that, that say they're, they feel hopeless. God, I just pray right now, God, that you would make a way where there is no way. God, and that they would remember, God, they would keep in perspective the, the power of who you are. God, they would keep in perspective what eternity is. God, that we'd keep in, they would keep in perspective, God, that you can make a way where there is no way.
God, I just thank you. I cannot express enough. I cannot even put into words the feeling and the sensation I get when I see you move in my life and I hear the whisper in my heart that I know it's because I've pleased you. Not because I'm perfect, God, but I know that because how I've acted with my finances, God, that you provide a way. God, I was reminded of it this week, God, as I, I received such a beautiful gift in a truck. God, I thank you again for who you are. God, I pray that you reveal that, that character, God, of who you are to these people. God, and I just pray for miraculous deliverance, God, from if it's debt, God, or just the hopelessness we feel over finances. God, some people in here are bound so much to feeling secure in, in the fact that they can provide however they want to provide because they make so much money. God, I pray that you would save them from depending on themselves. God, that they would depend on you. God, we just thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Well, I love you, church. I thank you again for coming. I encourage you to come back in the weeks to come. Again, each week is gonna be extremely practical. But I think at the end of the day, we spend so much time just going, we'll give it to Jesus, which is great. Give it to Jesus. But that doesn't solve the practical issues we run ourselves into. So can you, can you guys commit that you'll be coming back the next couple of weeks? Raise a hand, yeah? All right, well, we love you, church. Thanks for those who join us online. We'll see you in the weeks to come. Don't forget, Speed Light 8 Challenge. Don't forget to register and continue to keep your eyes open for what we're doing as a church. We love you. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.